Philip Yancey, Christian writer, very popular today, great insightful writer, tells a story in one of his books about some World War II American prisoners in a German prisoner camp, and unbeknown to the guards, they had a makeshift radio, the Americans did. And one day the news came over the radio that the, that the German high command had surrendered and that the war was over. But because of a communication breakdown, the camp where they were, the, uh, the prison camp, did not get the, the word. In fact, they didn't get the word uh, until four days later. But the Americans knew that the Germans had surrendered, but the Germans didn't know. The German guards didn't know that, that the Germans had surrendered. So, uh, a lot of the, eventually the, the Germans fled, but during that four days, how do you think those Americans felt? Well, as you can imagine, they felt pretty good. I mean, they had been suffering, mistreated, in poor conditions, but when they got word that the war was over, that they had won, they changed their attitude. They became upbeat. They smiled a lot. They joked with the guards. It was uh, an entirely different mentality for them. They made jokes over meals. They began singing and humming to one another. They were still suffering for those four days, and they were still mocked and beaten and poorly treated, but their entire mentality changed because they knew eventually word would get down to the German camp there that the war was over. And they knew that victory was certain, it was real, and it was coming soon. That's a great story to remind us of where we are today in this series. We're in the book of Revelation. As you know, we're we're a little bit over halfway through. If you've been with us, hopefully you've enjoyed these. We're in the series called Themes of Revelation, so it means we're not digging down deep and getting tied down or tied up with all the minutia or the details of it, and um, uh, we, are, uh, we are just kind of skipping over, but, you know, kind of like uh, we're just kind of diving down and back up and diving down, kind of like a bird over the ocean, you know, dipping down to get some. We have an overview, but we're dipping down to get some fresh meat every now and then. And, uh, and chewing on it. And that, that's kind of what I, I want you to see here. And uh, last week, this sermon is a continuation really of last week. I had at the beginning some high hopes that I would be able to cover chapters 6 through 8 uh, in one sermon. And uh, I probably could have, but uh, my, uh, my brain, which I like details, uh, wouldn't let me because there was so much in these chapters. So I broke up the, uh, that section from 6 to 11 and then 12 to 18, and that made us uh, seven sermons in this series. And I should have thought of that at the beginning, right, because seven is the number of the Bible. It's the number of Revelation. Now, this section of Scripture, 6 to 18, uh, it can be looked at in a couple different ways. Now, I realize that a lot of the Christian world, even people here in our church, I've, I've talked to some who disagree with me on many of my views or interpretation, the, you know, the minutia stuff, but overall, we agree that, uh, you know, we win in the end, right? Christ is going to redeem his church once and for all. 
But I just want to share with you uh, just a little bit of a difference of the views of this section of Scripture, chapter 6 through uh, 18. In a premillennial view, which that's the popular view out there in Christian world, and a lot of the people you hear, these chapters represent what they call the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation. Now, there's only one place in the Bible that refers to a great, not the great, but a great tribulation, and that's here in, in Revelation. It was uh, back in chapter uh, 7 or 14, one of those, whatever, one, one of those chapters that deals with 144,000. So this period of time for them is what's called the great tribulation, chapters 6 through 18. In that view, the premillennial view, the church, according to Revelation 4, according to them, is gone. It's raptured up. It's out of sight. So the church, if you're a believer, you won't have to suffer all the things that we're reading about here in chapters 6 to 18. Now, I don't uh, happen to share the premillennial view. I think it has a lot of problems, a lot of issues, but it's okay if you do because this is one of those non-essentials. You know, here at Gateway, we have a slogan, in essentials, unity, but in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. So we need to treat each other right. We can't get all bent out of shape about the end of Revelation, the end of the world, politics, and we could go down a list of no-discussed topics at Thanksgiving dinner, right, with the larger family. So um, amillennialism is what I subscribe to, which says that we're in the figurative thousand-year period right now. It's a church age. The church, when God comes to redeem it, it'll be the end because there's no silent rapture in the Bible anywhere, which is what the premillennialists teach. There's no silent rapture. There's no secret rapture where people would just disappear. Every time we read about any kind of a rapture, it is noisy. It's quite noisy and noticeable, and everybody's going to know about it. But when that happens, it's over. There'll be no second chance, like the premillennialists teach, that there'll be a second chance for people to hear the gospel who have rejected it their whole life and hear the gospel during this time of tribulation and make a decision for Christ, although it'll be difficult for them because of this delusion over their eyes. But I want to tell you something. I think there's a delusion over people's eyes right now, don't you? I think the world has pulled some blinders on people, and uh, they're looking at Christianity today as a far-something extremist position. The amillennial position, this is a time called the church age that we're all going to go through. We're all going to go through. Why would God take the church out of the world during the darkest time? And that's what I believe. He's, we're going to suffer this. John 16, Jesus said we're going to go through this. And so what we're seeing in these chapters in the amillennial, ah means, uh, it doesn't mean no, it, it, it literally means no thousand years, no millennium. But it's a figurative millennium. It's a set amount of time. And I believe that we're going to be here. I think it's going on right now. We read the seven seals. We read the seven trumpets last week. And I think we're going to get into the bowls today. And all of these point to one event. And what is that event? Do you remember? What is the one event all these, all these signs point to? What's going to happen eventually? The second coming of Christ. Thank you. I was starting to get worried. You know, I know uh, we forget sermons like uh, two minutes after we leave the building, but I'm hoping you don't forget that because that's important. 
the book of Revelation is all pointing to one major event, and that is the second coming of Christ. So to understand this book, I believe you need to know this word, recapitulation. Recapitulation. Say that one more time with me. Recapitulation. And this word is important because it means seeing the same thing from different angles. You see the same thing from different angles. This is what happened with, with Pharaoh when Joseph interpreted his dreams back in th- uh, f- chapter 41 of Genesis and also when Joseph himself had dreams. He had several different dreams, but it was all about one thing. And so uh, what we're looking at here is the, is the uh, God allowing his wrath to be poured out on, uh, the, uh, on the unrighteous. And really, we're all going to feel the effects of it. But in the end, we don't have to worry, do we? Because we know with Jesus, we're safe. Eric Alexander said, The real horror of being outside of Christ is that there's no shelter from the wrath of God. There's no shelter from the wrath of God. I don't know if you remember last week, some of the scripture we read, they they were hiding in caves they were trying to climb under the rocks because they, they wanted to escape uh, the, the wrath and the judgment of God. But you cannot. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you are. God sees all. God knows all, right? And so Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. He's getting ready to tell them about tribulation. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And we're going to deal with this a little bit next week. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Well, that's a promise right there in John 14 that, hey, I'm going to go away for a little while and I'm going to prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come back and get you and I'm going to take you there. And that's a great promise. That is a great promise. So today as we look uh, at uh, chapters 12 to 18, I want to kind of give you some headlines. You know, sometimes people remember headlines. We remember headlines. Joel alluded to a great win yesterday, and that headline, this morning's paper, will always be, uh, will stick in the minds of uh, Marshall fans. And, uh, you know, we're all happy because none of us like Notre Dame, right? It's like one of those teams along with Ohio State and a couple others. So I want to do some headlines, all right? So just a real quick recap. If we were to remember chapters 1 through 3, the theme was crown, crown. And if we had a headline that hit the paper about these chapters, we would say Jesus reigns over all. And that's kind of the picture we got. In chapters 4 and 5, when we saw this great worship scene in heaven... The uh, you know and um, uh, we we saw the the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David the lamb standing and that was the theme that day lamb we would say that every knee will bow because that's what we saw happening in heaven the four living creatures the twenty four elders represent all of creation the redeemed church all bowing and worshiping God every knee will bow. So we can decide to bow now or bow later, but we're going to bow. Every knee will bow and acknowledge that God is king supreme over the the entire uh, world, right? 
Chapter 6 to 11, last week, the theme was wrath, and I think the thing that we're looking at here as a headline would be that God protects his people. You know, we saw the, we saw the four horsemen bringing uh, chaos and economic chaos, uh, inflation, uh, we saw uh, death, you know, all these terrible things happening. We saw the seven trumpets, uh, which kind of remind us of the plagues of Egypt back in uh, the book of Genesis, uh, where the water is poisoned and all lots of things are happening. Vegetation is dying. All these terrible things, stars are hitting the earth. And uh, this, this wrath, we could say, the headline really for us is that God protects his people. God protects his people. So as we turn to chapter 12 and go through chapter 18, I want to give you this headline. I want you to remember it because this is important. And it is that the dragon is defeated. Now, would you read that headline with me out loud one time? Let's read it together. Ready? The dragon is defeated. Now, I don't know who came up with the St. Albans High School mascot. You know, they're the red dragons. But uh, evidently, whoever did didn't read the Bible. And that may be a part of the problem we got going on now with our football team and, uh, and some other things is that ultimately the red dragon is defeated. You know, whoever did that didn't do the school uh, a favor because if you read the Bible, you know the red dragon is going to be defeated, right? So if you go to St. Albans High School, I'm sorry you have to deal with that. Maybe you need to try to get them to change it to the blue dragon or something. Or the green dragon, you know, green uh, one yesterday. So, but anyway, uh, you know, because you really that's like naming your kid Jezebel or Lucifer. Uh, you know, it's just not a winning name. But hey, uh, let's hope the, the St. Albans Red Dragon will turn it around and, uh, and not be like the Red Dragon of the Bible. Now, the big text for today is chapter 6. I'm, yeah, chapters, I'm sorry, chapters 12 and 13. 12 and 13, and this is such an incredible passage of Scripture, I'm going to do like we did last week. We're going to read right through chapters 12 and 13. This is going to take like five minutes, so just sit back and listen as we, uh, as we read. You can see it on the screen, uh, chapters 12 and 13 of Revelation. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant, and was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, Behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, 
now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Revelation 13 And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power, and his throne, and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain, 
Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six, six, six. All right. <clears throat> a lot of good stuff in there, huh? So hopefully you are, you're able to capture a lot of these images. Uh, in these two chapters we just read, we, we get some main characters, some main characters. John introduces us to six characters. First, there's a pregnant woman who is about to go into labor. Now, we could say this is Mary. We could say this is uh, Israel. Or we could say, because some have said both, or we could say this is the church. I believe it's the church. I believe the church, you know, in the church, we got Christ. It could be spiritual Israel. It could be Israel. doesn't really matter uh, because we know the male child, the male child uh, is clearly a reference to Jesus, right? The red dragon, no doubt about who this is, seven heads, ten horns, who wants to kill the, uh, kill the child and then the woman and then make war with the woman's offspring, which that's you and me. We're in the story here. We're the offspring of this, uh, of this woman. This is Satan. This is the serpent. We, we get that in the text. And then we're introduced to Michael the archangel who leads the armies of God to kick Satan out of heaven. You might remember this from your Bible knowledge that there was a war before uh, the creation of, uh, of the earth. Or, or rather, at least before the before we came on the scene, and uh, Lucifer rebelled, and Michael uh, fought against Lucifer, and one third uh, of all the angels rebelled, and there was a war, and they were kicked to the earth. And then we're introduced to two beasts. There's a sea beast, and there's a, a, a land beast, another beast. And we'll talk about these beasts in just a minute. So what's happening here in these chapters is John is pulling the veil back. He's pulling the veil back on the evil and darkness that surrounds us, but the, so many people seem oblivious to. There's, you know, did you know that you're in a battle right now, a, a spiritual battle against the dragon? He is making war against the offspring of the woman, and you and I are the offspring of the woman, it's kind of like that. Uh, remember that 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 movie many years ago that came out, the Never Ending Story. I used to love that movie. I don't know if, you, if any of you are old enough to remember it, or but it, you know you're reading a story and all of a sudden the kid realizes he's in the book, he's in the story, and that's where we are. We're in the story, and uh, yet. Many of us are so oblivious to that. Here in 2022 America, we seem to be a little bit haphazard about the things we watch and the things we listen to and the decisions we make because we don't. We think this is a story about somebody else. We think this is. We think this is a different story that we can come to on Sunday and hear a little bit about. Spend an hour. Spend a couple hours. Take a few notes. Get a comfortable seat. Sing a few songs, and then the story. We close the book and. And then we go back out there and live our lives until we come back the next Sunday and we open the book back up and resume the story. But that's not right. When you leave this building today, you're still in the story. You're still in the battle. 
you're still, uh, uh, you know, you're still at war with the dragon. Did you know this? You're at war with him. And so, uh, uh, you know, that we got to get out of this notion that this is a, a book that we open on Sundays and then we put it up and we come back the next week and open it back up again. There's more at stake here. To me, this is kind of like the Matrix movies. Is that too old of a reference for you? The Matrix movies, I saw they were on last night, and this is, you know, there's, a, there's life that's going on out here, but underneath the fabric of life, somebody's pulling some strings. Somebody's doing some things with ulterior motives, and they really want to destroy us. And so we're just walking along, you know, and we don't, we don't have a clue that the, the purchases we make that the TV shows we watch, that the music we listen to, that the words we use, that the people we hang out with, that the businesses we support, that everything about our lives is a, is a move in the battle against the dragon. And we need to see our life in that way. Everything we do is a part of this great war that's happening right now. A.W. Tozer, I love this guy, he put it this way when he said, this world is not a playground, it's a battleground, and we are not here to frolic, we are here to fight. We need to think of it that way. But right here in America, you know, life becomes more about the frolic than the fight. We want to have fun, we want to enjoy things, we want to enjoy our life, we want the best of things, we want to buy things, we want to, we want to uh, you know, have convenience, and we want comfort, we want all these things that make life more like the frolic than the fight. I wonder if Jesus came down today, if he would find us fighting or find us frolicking. And remember our headline, though, the dragon is defeated, he's defeated. And then he's defeated again, and then he's defeated again. That's Satan's story. But the thing about dragons, if you, if you know this, the thing about dragons, maybe you're a Lord of the Rings fan, dragons are sore losers. They don't lose very well. And he knows he's, his time is short. Remember that verse? His time is short, and he's furious. Now, I personally believe, in my view, of this, you don't have to agree with me. According to Matthew 12, 22 to 30, and Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, that the cross was the stake that pinned the devil down. It pinned him down. He's kind of like, envision it, you've heard me use this before, like a dog on a leash. He's like, his leash is longer than we'd want. He's like a dog on a leash. As long as we stay out of reach of this dog on a leash, we're okay. But when you start wandering into his territory, you're going to get bit. When you start flirting with sin and flirting with the stuff you should stay away from, when you start getting into the devil's territory, then you're going to get in trouble. Jesus said he went in and he had to bind the strong man. In Hebrews chapter 2, the, the cross dealt with. So this is when the devil was defeated the first time. He was put on a leash. His leash, is he still, he still has demons. Remember, one-third of all the angels, some of them were put into chains in the abyss when they had sexual relations with the daughters of men. 
back in Genesis 6. Remember that? Not all of them did that, but there are still some on the loose, and they are terrorizing the world today. And that's why, uh, that's why Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. There are hierarchy of angels, evil angels. Michael is an archangel. There were evil angels. The rulers, the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's why the apostle Paul said that. Now, unlike God, the devil is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He doesn't have the same authority of God. It's not even close. It's, he's deceptive. He's tricky. He's constantly scheming. That's what the Bible uh, says. He's always scheming, scheming. He's trying to trick you. He's trying to entice you. He's trying to dangle carrots in front of you. He's sending his demons out to uh, create havoc. And, uh, but, but in the end, he knows he's done. He'll, he's going to be loosed one day from this chain for a very short period of time. We'll talk about this, I think, next week. He'll be loosed for a very short time to gather his armies at what's called the Battle of Armageddon, and then it'll, it'll all be over. It's really not a battle. It's just, boom, it's over. And so what we're introduced here is this trinity of evil, this trinity of evil. You have the devil at the top, you got the sea beast, and you got the land beast. And now let me tell you about the sea beast. It's so clear when you back up and think about what's going on. Remember what I said at the very beginning, everything that John is writing would have been understood by the first century readers. If they couldn't understand it, then, uh, then it wouldn't bring them encouragement, and this book is a book of encouragement. And so it's so clear, now when we look back, this sea beast represents political systems. It could represent at that time the government of Rome. Rome, you know, uh, it talked about seven horns uh and uh um yeah is that right it was seven horns yeah seven heads rather and seven and ten horns the seven heads are roman emperors and then there were three generals that tried to become emperor but they failed so that's ten altogether so this sea beast represents really uh rome today it could represent a, a government familiar to you and to me any government that tries to suppress christianity any government that tries to, to marginalize, to push it aside, to make something else important is represented by this sea beast. Have you ever seen the Mediterranean Sea? Anybody? Anybody been in the Mediterranean Sea? Yeah, maybe on a Navy ship or maybe a cruise ship. That's one of my, that's one of my dreams. I want to get into, uh, I want to go to the Mediterranean on a, on a cruise ship, and then I want to visit all the places where Paul visited. And that would be my perfect, uh, that'd be my perfect trip. If I'm here 50 years, which I don't think I will be, that'd be a great gift. I'm glad Chris is here to hear that today. But look at that Mediterranean Sea. What does that look like to you? Does it kind of look like a beast? You see that? You see the, the mouth? You see that? kind of looks like a beast. Now, you can Google this yourself. This is so uh, interesting that, you know, this is God's view, you know. Now we have satellites, we can get up and see it. But before, they couldn't, they couldn't see this, but God could see. Look at this beast. It's the sea beast. Isn't that wild? That's kind of wild. The more you look at that, that's a beast right there. Okay, so i got to hurry. The land beast, what is the land beast? There's another beast that came up. And the key word in describing this beast was the word worship. You know what? This beast represents false religion false religion. In this day, this religion was emperor worship. It was the Roman religion. 
And, you know, the, the, the key word there was worship. Uh, it's, uh, it's worship. Later, this beast is referred to in chapter 16 and 19 as a false prophet. It would be anything, any kind of worship or religion that takes your focus off of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's what it would represent. So think about this. What, what the dragon is trying to do by giving these two, the land beast, Rome, and the, uh, sorry, the sea beast, Rome, and the land beast, false religion, the religion of Rome, authority. What he's doing is he's trying to get people to think that they don't need God, that the government can take care of all your problems, that your religion can take care of all your problems. Well, I don't know about you, but if you can't see the similarities between uh, first century Rome and 21st century uh, earth or America even, then you need to open your eyes. That's what the devil is trying to give authority to governments and to religions to get people to think we don't need God. We are taken care of. The government will take care of us. They'll send us a check or they'll, they'll be here to protect us. Uh, my religion, you know, we can earn it. We can do what we need to do. And boy, I wish I had more time. But the dragon's goal is to steal the glory of God and the worship that is due to God alone. That's what these beasts represent. You know, it's amazing to me how the first Christians who heard this, these words, how, how they remained faithful, many of them. Many of them didn't, but many of them did. They were persecuted. They didn't have a right to vote about who their next emperor was going to be. They didn't have a bill of rights. They didn't have a constitution. They couldn't run for office. They couldn't influence anybody on social media. They couldn't do any of that stuff. Yet neither Nero nor Domitian nor any emperor nor any false religion nor any government was able to hold them back. The gates of hell did not prevail and still won't prevail. We're going to take a lot of losses in the days to come. There'll be a lot of Christians throwing in the towel because it's going to get too tough and the, the bait, the lure of the, the devil, whatever that is for you, is going to knock a lot of people out of the game. There'll be a few. Now, the end of this chapter, we read about the mark of the beast. The mark, this is the, this is the mark of the beast. And his number is what? 666. 666. The other day I was playing golf, and um, sadly, uh, all three of us got sixes on the uh, on that hole. And so, what's the score? Six sixty-six. I said, "We can't do that. I'll take a five. <laughs> you know, that's the way we are. This is the six sixty. What is this? What is this all about? Is this a real number? Will this be posted on your forehead or on your hand? I don't think so. I don't think it's a literal number. Remember, this book is a figurative book. This number is six. What's the number of Revelation? You know the main number of Revelation? Add one, seven, seven. Seven is the perfect number. It's the number of God. What is six then if you want seven? If you want seven and you have six, will six cut it? Six won't cut it. Six is incomplete. It's incomplete. It's completely incomplete. 
That's what this number is. This is if you put your faith in the government or you put your faith in some religion or you put your faith in anything besides God, besides his son, Jesus Christ, you will come up short. You'll be completely incomplete. And that's really what he's trying to say here. And, you know, the mark and being able to buy and sell. If, if you uh, try to live as a Christian and it's, it could get so bad that you're marginalized, you're pushed to the side, and the persecution is going to be so bad that they will deny you. Now, 10 years ago, you and I couldn't imagine this kind of thing happening in our country, but we can imagine it now, can't we? We can imagine discrimination to the effect that whether, whether it's your skin color or it's your religion, we're pushing you to the side. You don't get first choice here. We're giving it to somebody else who subscribes to the beast, somebody who subscribes and worships the government. Government. Chapter 14 says, I looked, and behold, a Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I put this in there for those of you who are premillennialists because Jesus is not supposed to touch the earth until chapter 19, according to that view. But oops, we found him standing on the earth here in chapter 14. And, uh, and then in chapter 14, verse 8, we, I told you there were six characters, but we really meet a seventh character. There's another character and um, it's referred to in chapter 14, verse 8, and a full description given of this person in chapter 17. In chapter 14, it's Babylon the Great, but also we hear about the great prostitute. And the King James calls her the great whore. Now, I've got to be honest with you, that's a tough word for us, isn't it? Nobody likes that word. And so the, the modern translators kind of, um, they kind of soften it up by saying prostitute, but the word whore is the word I want you to hear, okay? I know uh, it's, not a, it's not a bad word, it's just a word that, uh, that kind of makes, you know, it's just like, whoa, that's a really a harsh word. But that's the word I want you to hear, okay? I want you to hear that word. Because this woman represents immoral culture that she's the seventh person who would have thunk there would have been seven seven people we meet in these in this section of this passage of scripture 12 to 18 listen to how she's described the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And this woman, is, she's dressed to fit the bill. She's dressed just like she should be dressed to, to seduce. You know, I don't want to get off on this, but, but if you're a parent... Talk to your kids, your daughters especially, about how they're dressing in, the, in, our, in our schools. It's just mind-blowing the, uh, the, the way that young people are dressing these days. It is, uh, it's embarrassing. It's, it's embarrassing to me. It's uh, distracting. It's so, it, I just, it's hard to believe uh, what, what you see today with, uh, uh, you know, with our culture. Men and women, and I'll just, that's all I'm going to say about that, but if you're a parent, exercise some 
authority and if you have to some leverage because i know you're paying for the phone and for the insurance on the car i know you provide a bedroom exercise some leverage and don't drop the ball here christian parents we don't want people dressing like they're prostitutes or like they're trying to seduce i I don't know how young men or any men really can make it today uh, without the you know without stumbling and you know we we approve that in our society and we encourage it and we push it and we applaud it and then when a guy stumbles and messes up we rake him over the coals it, it, it just this is one of my pet peeves here about our culture but i want to tell you it's it's not going to get better it's going to get worse i mean we've seen some things on social media today that you don't want your kids to see it's embarrassing it's perverted and this is what's happening this is babylon the great this is a moral culture this is dangling the carrot saying hey come over here i got what you want I know what you want and you know if you read the new testament you will see the apostle paul and the apostle peter and all those who wrote books constantly encouraging believers to stay pure to stay away from sexual immorality to keep yourself away from the ways of the world and immoral culture i mean that's like the push from front to back and then you'll find a list of people who aren't going to make it into heaven and they They're described by the immoral culture. In chapter 18, verse 4, Jesus says, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Now, we're going to talk more about this woman next week when we see her judgment come. But I want you to remember the headline. The headline. What was our headline for today? The dragon is defeated. The dragon is defeated. This is the headline that echoes throughout the book. A lamb defeats a dragon. Who could have thought that a lamb would defeat? Yeah, a lamb defeats the dragon. So cheer up. Chin up. Make your choice. Choose your side. Because victory is coming to the lamb and those who follow the lamb. And you might suffer, you might be punished, you might be ridiculed, you might be mocked by your friends, but don't give in to the, to the allure of the, of the government be replacing God or some religion replacing God or immoral culture luring you in to her ways because victory is coming to those who follow Jesus. Amen? And it's coming by the blood of the Lamb. That's what he did for us. And by the word of their testimony... That's what he does through us and because they love their lives not enough even to death. Well, this, is, uh, this wraps up our wrath time. Next, we got two more sermons. We got judgment and we got bride. And I hope this has helped you a little bit. I know I went a little bit long today, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff in here. And, and you know, if anything, uh, folks, we got to wake up as the church. We got to wake up. I'm not talking about politically and voting yeah you should vote and do all that stuff but i'm talking about our lives i'm talking about our homes i'm talking about our marriages i'm talking about our kids we need to wake 
because victory's coming. We need to choose the right side now. Let's stand. Stand up. Lord God, thank you so much for the victory that's ours. We know, we know the victory's here. We've heard it. We've got assurance of it. But the world hasn't been informed yet. And uh, they still think they're in charge. They still think there's a chance. The devil is out and about. He still thinks he can take others down, and he will be, God, but not us. I pray that we would stand true to you. We'd stand firm and worship the Lamb. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to come.